Welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter and Twitch and Threads and everywhere you need an at, okay, at PA Howdy. Um, I think I figured it out. I think I know what I want to do with the Crossroads during the season. And that's I want to run through my main observations by team each week as usage trends continue to collect and regression continues to build. I'm writing a version of this up for DLF and also some observations for Patreon. And on the podcast, I want to do yet a third version. So let's do that. Before we get to that, we've got our message from Ticketmaster this week. And then let's go to the crossroads. More memories are made when you're there for live NFL action. And when you need tickets, Ticketmaster's got you covered. As the official marketplace of the NFL, Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find your perfect seat. Their interactive seat map gives you 360-degree previews of your section to make sure you have the best views of those pivotal plays. And if your plans change, Ticketmaster gives you more flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus, mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. You can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com slash NFL. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and nerds all at once. Okay, so these are Too Long Didn't Read or TLDR notes from my Dynasty report that I'm putting on DLF, DynastyLeagueFootball.com, home of uh, Ticketmaster and me, and on Patreon. I'm trying to sum up a lot of things that I think people might miss or maybe don't want to admit so far at whatever point in the season we're in. So the first thing I've been pointing out on DLF and Patreon is that it's week one. So there's an evergreen reminder that we should all pay attention to. This is a week we have the most fake top 12 players in the NFL in current points per game ranks. Points per game is not yet more predictive or effective at predicting the seasonal outcome of players as preseason rankings. It's why we still hold to our priors through at least the first four weeks. However, they may be more accurate than you think. Around 35% of wide receivers and running backs will be accurate. That's between two to six players, depending on the season, currently ranking in the top 12 are going to finish there by week 16. At tight end, it's even better. Around 45%, or between five and seven players, are actually accurately ranked in the top 12. Not that the top 12 is exactly as useful at tight end as it isn't running back and wide receiver. Quarterback, it's even better. Seven to ten players are actually going to hold their rank from top 12 by the end of the season. They're going to rank there by week 16. This is an important thing to remember as we consider where players are ranking right now and dynasty value. I talked about this on Twitter. I highlighted who the top 12 were and said you can basically pick four and it's not hard to do uh, at all. Like they're the players we all love in the top four as it is with Amon Ross St. Brown and Jamar Chase and Stefan Diggs and so on and so forth. But it gets awful dicey when you realize a lot of the players you might be more hyped on right now after week one don't make that easy cutoff list. And some years we only get two. Injuries are going to play into that as well though, remember. But check out that thread or the data again if you want to look at the list or consider those percentages or just as I rank players through the season we're going to update how accurate they tend to be moving forward in an average NFL season. Now, if you want to, again, if you want to look at all of this, I actually created a tab in my database that's pinned to my Twitter and my Patreon timeline for free. It's a Google sheet that if you select the team, it actually pops up a table and pulls in all of the stats I'm about to look at in a way that I think is visually pleasing, but also not overly complicated. So 
feel free to check those out if there's a team I don't talk about or you want to check out the stats yourselves. So in Arizona, my first observation, my main observation, my too long didn't read, the thing I'm taking away from Arizona from week one is that Zach Ertz is looking like a streamer tight end again. And Michael Wilson, someone I wasn't particularly high on as a rookie, is already heavily involved in the offense through one week. And pretty much you can assume that there's an asterisk on everything I say with a, but it's only been one week. Just keep that in mind as well. The three top options in Arizona in terms of the number of routes run compared to the total team routes ran that week, are Marcus Brown, Marcus Wilson, and Zach Ertz. All three accounted for 19.7% of the team's routes in a game where they threw for 30 pass attempts. Zach Ertz was not only heavily involved relative to his lack of dynasty value, but he also underperformed his volume in week one, and should trend up in points per touch, which is one of those stats that does tend to revolve around an average. He scored slightly below average, and if his volume keeps up, he should do even better relative to what happened in week one. Rondell Moore, someone I had a lot of hope for coming into the season, to be fair. He was heavily involved overall, especially when you consider his hybrid role in the rushing attempts, but he maintained his below average A dot, which was a real signal we were hoping to see change. It was 2.7 in week one, and he mostly worked in the slot with 72% of snaps. While his hybrid roles is persisting right now, so does his lack of fantasy upside. He continues to be just a bench stash if you have room for a wide receiver right now in Dynasty. From Atlanta, Drake London and Kyle Pitts are looking rough. Bajon Robinson is still the Dynasty running back one, to be clear. Now, Tyler Algier finishes running back four overall, and Bajon Robinson finishes running back seven overall in week one. So you already know something's probably going to give, but the main signal to take away from week one is that Atlanta wants to run the ball and it tends to do it. In fact, believe it or not, a lot of players overperform their volume in Atlanta in week one, despite no one else finishing inside the top 65, apart from Desmond Ritter, technically he was quarterback 24, because there was so little volume to go around, especially in the receiving game, that any amount of success ends up looking like over-efficiency. As far as who are the lead pass catchers on that team, it's very clearly Kyle Pitts and Drake London. Both ran 23.8% of the very small number of routes that the team actually ran. Kyle Pitts struggled to earn targets on those routes. He was actually slightly below average in targets per route run, which again, should come up as time goes by. But the real concern here is that the team wants to run, the team doesn't want to pass, and that's going to leave you holding the bag in both Drake London and Kyle Pitts in Dynasty. They're looking like they might have a buy window coming up as this season rolls out and the results continue to be below average. But we should expect to see more points in some weeks just based on the fact that they are the two most heavily involved pass catchers on their team. And they're actually co-opting a significant number of the opportunities so far through one week. Now, Tyler Algier was a welcome surprise for many, including me. I thought he was just purely going to be a backup, but he did lead the team with 57% of the team's rushing attempts. Bajon Robinson led the team, the actual team in target share, however, and looked every bit the first round talent on the field, pretending I watched, you know. And now neither Bajon nor Tyler will continue to score a touchdown on less than 100 yards. The average is between 100 and 200, so regression is coming. And I think a clear running back one will emerge, and obviously I think it's Bajon Robinson, leaving the other to be an upside flex play for his part in the what is now an NFL committee. Bajon Robinson should still be the dynasty running back one, and we should expect to see volume to shift that way over time. From Baltimore, Zay Flowers is good, 
but there could be changes coming over the next few weeks. I don't think we can take much away from Baltimore's week one matchup. The game was odd and the script was unlikely to repeat at best. They did try, by the way, to get Isaiah Likely involved. He ran 19% of the team's routes. It's the third heaviest route total on the team. But he just failed to earn targets on those touches and didn't have much of a red zone presence. In fact, he had zero He had zero touches inside the 20-yard line, let alone the 10-yard line. Now, Zay Flowers' rookie debut, on the other hand, was very impressive and provides him with a high expectation in Dynasty. However, overall, the balance of opportunity is likely to change over the next three weeks. Flowers dominated in the red zone with 45% of the touches inside the 20-yard line, but he didn't actually find the red zone on those touches. He didn't score a touchdown on them. On top of that, Flowers also won't maintain 40% targets per route run, or 45% target share. While he should and looks right now to be the number one receiver in Baltimore, it's worth noting that Odo Beckham actually ran more routes with 25.6% of the team's overall routes, and Rashad Bateman had relatively high involvement, a 14% target share, but only on 39% of the team's snaps. Now, that could just be hopium, don't get me wrong, and Zay Flowers is definitely good, but this season I'd expect him more to be a top 36 wide receiver, and I think the volume's going to shift over the next few f- next few weeks before we really know how it's going to look moving forward. In Buffalo, James Cook is an RB2 at best, and that's actually me moving up on my opinion of James Cook's. Stefan Diggs is the receiving room in Buffalo, obviously. Gabe Davis is actually still the same second option he always has been, with about the same number of teams overall routes as Diggs ran, 20.3%, but Diggs is obviously much better at earning targets and had both the team's targets inside the 20-yard line this week. Dawson Knox and Don Kincaid seem to be splitting the tight end role in Buffalo, but they both got 16% of the team's overall routes, so it remains to be seen how that's going to shake out. We have to assume Kincaid at some point can co-opt a larger share of that opportunity. But James Cook, while he did have 54% of the team's overall rushing attempts and 14% of the team's targets, he only ran 11% of the team's routes. Running back 28 might be an unfair finish for him in week one, but moving forward, I'm still hesitant to have higher upside expectations than a top 24 running back for James Cook. In Chicago, it's if you haven't already panicked on Justin Fields, it's time to panic on Justin Fields. Uh, DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney, and Cole Commit were the top three receivers in the offense in terms of route percentage. DJ Moore should probably remember how to attract targets moving forward. He actually only earned a target on 10% of his routes, which is phenomenally low, especially for someone like DJ Moore. But the offense in general looks terrible. I think it's time to sell Justin Fields if you haven't been scared enough not to get invested in the first place. Now, Roshan Johnson is good and has the inside track and the target share for the backfield. And Cleo Herbert was also pretty solid in week one. Both look viable, but if either are able to establish a higher opportunity role in the future, it would have a lot of fantasy potential. Right now, both mire each other into the flex upside category rather than an easy standalone start moving forward, despite Roshan's uh, running back eight finish. Donald Mooney is good, by the way, just in case you didn't know, and likely to be a top 24 wide receiver week over week, running 81% of his routes in the slot, And in this version of the offense, I don't expect that to be particularly fantasy friendly, but it was a good week one and a reminder. In Cleveland, 
There's hope for Elijah Moore. He had 40% of the team's red zone work, but no touchdowns to show for it. If that role keeps up, look for him to have more upside moving forward. Accounting for more of the team's routes than Amari Cooper is probably just a one-week sample size issue. He's a slot player for the offense, running 64% of his routes in the slot, and while I expect Cooper to finish as the team's lead receiver, so far, through one week, the outcome looks murkier than I would would ever have expected. In Dallas, Jake Ferguson is due touchdown regression. Dak Prescott, despite a 40-point blowout, should score more touchdowns on that level of volume, especially moving forward, just based on the work in the red zone that happened in week one. Jake Ferguson also may be the one to catch those touchdowns. Tony Pollard did well in week one, mainly because of touchdowns, but I hope he doesn't have to maintain that touchdown rate to stay in the top 12 moving forward, because it probably won't happen. He had a touchdown on every 41 yards a week. Jake Ferguson, on the other hand, did have 25% of the team's touches inside the 20-yard line, which means he could at least have touchdown upside moving forward. He had a 28% target share in week one. He only ran 12% of the team's routes, so I'm not sure he's actually the clear number one option or number two option, but he could well be a decent option in the red zone, which could provide him that upside on a week-to-week basis. In Detroit, Sam Laporta, by the way, is also good. He's a clear third option in route percentage, but has already established a very clear and high-level role as a rookie tight end. He earned targets per route at a rate of 20%, and while not yet involved in the red zone, he could easily finish in the top 12 where he currently ranks if he gets some red zone work. The only good things in Green Bay can't keep this up. Similarly, Romeo Dubs had a nice week one finish as wide receiver 14, but he split the routes with Jaden Reed, both earning 18% of the team's overall routes, and scored a touchdown every 13 yards. Frankly, there wasn't a clear wide receiver one in Green Bay, it's just that Romeo Dubs did really well with his touches, while, while Jaden Reed just kind of did okay. Luke Musgrave was interesting, he had a 14% target share, but at above average targets per route run, in other words, he shouldn't earn target. He shouldn't have that higher target share based on the number of routes he ran in week one, and that should regress. And his A dot is just a mystery. He had 18 air yards under the ball for each target on average, and that's I can't imagine either of those as sustainable. But it's definitely positive signal from like a third round rookie pick this year, but not yet a starter. In Houston, Dalton Kincaid, I think, is better than Nico Collins on average for a dynasty roster. Nico had a solid start to his 2023 campaign uh, with CJ Stroud under center. He had 25% of the team's target share and a 14 A dot. However, he also only had 16% of the team's overall, overall routes, which is below average for a wide receiver one, obviously. Um, and he was also running fewer routes than Robert Woods and Dalton Schultz. And Schultz struggled to earn targets in week one, but still had the team's one and only red zone target. So I think Schultz actually might have better viability for most dynasty rosters moving forward than Nico Collins. In Indianapolis, Josh Downs' volume might get overlooked. Last year, Alec Pierce ran an impressive number of routes, and we highlighted it on this podcast. However, that may well have been the plan going into week one, but the results could and probably should make the team interested in changing that plan. Pierce had the second most routes, 18.4%, this week in Indianapolis, but Downs managed a 17.9% target share on only 16% of the team's route. Downs even equaled Pittman's red zone volume with 15.4% of the team's touches inside the 20-yard line. And I know 
most Indianapolis tapes right now will be about Anthony Richardson, but again, I'm going off the beaten track, and I really think it might go overlooked that in week one, or through one week, Josh Downs, finishing as a wide receiver 67 and PPR scoring, actually had the wide receiver 21 ranked weighted opportunity rating in terms of how valuable his touches were compared to the other wide receivers for scoring fantasy points. I think this was a really positive week one for Josh Downs. In Jacksonville, Cavern Ridley is back, baby, but in Jacksonville, not Atlanta. He had 22% of the team's routes, 34% of the team's total targets, and 81% of the snaps, not to mention 18% of the red zone work. Now, that target share is unlikely to maintain. He's not going to have 34% by the time he finishes the season, but he did this type of thing the last time he was on the field in the NFL. He literally, last time he played, someone wrote, and I can't remember who, pointed out that he finished as a wide receiver four, and now he's just back to doing the exact same thing. I think it's wheels up for the old guy, to be honest. Um, Top 12 wide receivers are suspect to week four, of course, but this isn't one I'd easily doubt, especially if you're on a competitive or you have a competitive roster. Through one week, Zay Jones was a second option, making Christian Kirk a vestigial third option, especially with how impressive Evan Ingram was. And Travis Etienne was a very comfortable top 12 running back in volume and points, despite Tank Bigsby biting at his heels. Etienne had 51% of the team's rushing attempts and 18% of the team's targets, which is just really good um, for a top 12 running back. That should probably be be our expectation moving forward. In Los Angeles for the Rams, I think Puka's role looks suspicious. Let's let's put it that way. It's suspicious. Now, I don't like being fantasy football's doubting Thomas, but I also seem to naturally fit the role well, so let's just roll with it. I think maybe we're seeing too much and too little from Puka Nakua. Remember that he did this in college as well, having high upside on small sample sizes. For me right now, the routes were too evenly split and the role a little too unsustainable with 39% of the team's overall targets and 50, he had a targets per route run rate of 50%. Half of his routes resulted in a target. For me to feel confident of knowing what this offense looks like without Cooper Cup moving forward or especially with Cooper Cup when he returns, I don't think we have enough information. They basically split the role and Puka had a way too efficient targets per route run number and that could just be situation that could just be a single week game script and we've seen this player specifically do that a lot in college now beyond that it's good but let's not get too excited six of the top 12 remember right now are unlikely to maintain their production moving forward and he's comfortably on that list for me tyler higby's target share by the way should increase moving forward based on his overall route usage he had 17 percent of the team's overall routes which is pretty close to the three receivers, to be fair. Kyron Williams is a lot more convincing to me now I've been able to dig into the numbers a little bit. But I want to point out that Cam Akers still had the majority of rushing attempts. And while that was to salt away the game at the end, it could mean that the rushing script is going to slide his way. And I don't think he's going to get zero targets every week. In Miami, I think Durham Smythe is really interesting. I actually found him on some waiver wires after waivers had ran in Dynasty, and that's fairly rare, so I wanted to highlight him. This was the best game of the week, by the way. My main fantasy takeaway is that Durham Durham Smythe ran more routes relative to the team total, 19%, than anyone else, and managed the second highest target share, 15% on the team. In a week of hot waiver wire pickups, again... 
he was on the waiver wire after waivers ran in at least two of my fairly competitive dynasty leagues, so I think he's worth keeping an eye out. In New England, Kendrick Bourne has potential, and while I want to go all in on that, uh, there are some questions that remain. Um, Kendrick Bourne was a wide receiver one for New England in week 19% of the team's routes, with a healthy 20% target share. But Bourne's points were overly touchdown dependent with 32 yards per touchdown, which won't sustain. But more concerningly, his 30% targets per route run on only 20% target share, with Keyshawn Butte and Hunter Henry both nipping at his heels, earning 15% of the team's total routes, suggests that the target distribution could shift moving forward, and it wouldn't be the first time that's happened to us in New England. For now, I think he's a high upside wide receiver 3, but no more. Michael Thomas is also back, by the way, in New Orleans. Jamal Williams never left. Jamal Williams had 66% of the team's rushing attempts and 6% of the team's target share. At least until Alvin Kamara returns, he has sustainable running back three volume right now, with room to grow from that point. Michael Thomas accounted for the second highest team's route percentage, with 22%, behind only Alave. Chris Alave, by the way. Rashid Shahid scored a touchdown, and I'm happy for him, but he's a side character in the Michael Thomas resurgent narrative. Just don't get it twisted. In San Francisco, the difference between Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk is red zone work. I don't want to take away from the good feelings of Brandon Ayuk roster is in week one, but both he and Debo ran 20% of the team's overall routes. In fact, Debo ran more. Um, Debo ran 24% of the team's overall routes, and Brandon Ayuk ran 21%, albeit with more air yards under the ball because he had a 13.7 ADOT, and then Samuel had a 10.5 ADOT, and Debo also works much more in the slot, which we know, with a 41% slot rate compared to a 26.7% slot rate for Brandon Ayuk. But that's also quite often where that offense defaults to. It runs through the middle of the field. So the real difference in week one was that Brandon Ayuk had 28% of the team's red zone touches, which is less sustainable than routes or target. I think it's also important that both earn targets on 30% of their routes, which is above average, and kind of speaks to how well this offense is operating together right now. Now, the narrative is Brock Purdy likes Ayuk, and he might, I don't know, but he also seems to like Samuel just as much. He's just not the red zone target, or at least that's how it sits through one week. In Tennessee, DeAndre Hopkins is also back. Team old guy, who knew? Who spent all offseason saying, return wide receivers? I don't know. On the other hand, on the negative side, I don't know what that was from Traylon Burks this week. DeAndre Hopkins did a DeAndre Hopkins-like things. You don't need me to explain that to you. But Traylon Burks was someone I really had bounce-back hopes for after a rocky rookie season. Burks was the team's clear second option with 22% of the team's overall routes. But he also struggled to earn targets on those routes and ended up losing out to Nick Westbrook, who, you know, he's not someone I'd pick up. They both had similar ADOTs and similar slot roles, and Westbrook, despite only running 19% of the team's routes, ended up with 20% of the team's targets. Hopefully that can change, but it was a rough week one. And that's the end of my notes so far. Uh, Through week one, those are my main observations that I think are a little off the beaten track that you might not hear about on every other podcast, and I avoided ones, or I tried to avoid ones I think you will hear about and every other article, and every other podcast, so let me know if I'm double covering some stuff. I'm trying to get you some more 
One, undernoted trends that are worth keeping an eye on for Dynasty, but perhaps also some things that I think a lot of people won't want to notice because no one wants to be the wet blanket because saying positive things, well, it might be remembered. It doesn't get you negative attention afterwards. Whereas if you're negative and it works out, people people hate that stuff and remember it. So I don't know. I'll be the Doubting Thomas for now. Let me know if it was interesting. Check out the article. Check out the data if you want. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening to thanks for listening to the Crossroads. And I will talk to you again next week. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. Jake got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and they on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and they on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.